Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about API and security trends for 2018. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Ryan Barnett. He's Principal Security Researcher with Akamai. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on. Ryan, as we look back on 2017, I'd like to ask you about some of the biggest API security threat trends that you've seen in a number of areas. First, how about related to denial of service? Yeah, well, DDoS, right, or distributed denial of service, it's obviously one of those attacks that affects pretty much everybody. It's not exclusive to APIs in this case, but these types of attacks can uh, cause a different type of impact to an API. And also in a number of uh, circumstances, as we work with our customers, it's a little more challenging to identify these kinds of automated high bandwidth types of attacks against an API when the whole point is everybody goes faster and gets data faster. <laughs> so it's kind of tricky uh, to identify those, but a couple different ways also APIs are maybe a little bit different in how you're handling these. Thinking about bandwidth type of attacks, that's pretty much standard for everybody, right? They know how to look for those. They have networking gear that looks for those. And that's, of course, uh, one attack vector that can be used, and we see that against our customers. The number one defense you're typically talking about there are some sort of rate limiting or, or rate controls. Just say, hey, is somebody going too quickly against this resource? So those types of defenses are critical. The other types of denial of service attacks that are more challenging that we're running into with our customers are the ones that are more geared towards an application layer type of an attack, right? So if you're looking at your total bandwidth, it's not that you don't have any bandwidth, customers can still come in, but the types of attacks they're running against, in this case, an API, it can cause more internal problems, right, to the architecture that's behind the API. Um, so those are typically very challenging. You know, some of the things that we see and that we work with customers on that can be really beneficial as we're talking about rate controls in one sense is if your API does give out API keys uh, to authorized clients, uh, you know, maybe you have a third party business customer or somebody, um, if you've issued individual API keys and those are sent back maybe as a request header or a token or something like that, then you can have a whole different layer of defense that comes back to do more fine grained inspection to say, hey, wait a minute, you're going too fast. <laughs> also, we see that a lot too with attackers where they're trying to launch denial of service attacks. They're maybe sometimes just hitting IPs and ports. They don't really understand what the end resource even is. So that's very easy as well. Uh, hey, if they don't have an API key, you can just block it off the bat. It really doesn't matter how fast they go. So those are some main areas. Uh, another thing to look at is resource consumption. A lot of times these APIs are receiving more often than not JSON formatted request bodies, right? They're sending post payloads. So you can have these big blobs of JSON text going into an API that needs to parse that, right? And figure out well, what does this mean, right? Uh, what kind of resource are they asking for? How do I get the data back for them? Um, so there's all sorts of different attacks where attackers can send, let's say instead of you know 50 keys, maybe they send 100,000. Right? And then there could be some internal logic that can be a problem for looking for hash collisions and all sorts of other things that can just cause problems locally on the resource. Um, and the last kind of area from a denial of service perspective, it also kind of straddles a fence <laughs> with data scraping. And that's where APIs are often used to request, let's say, a range of data. Right? You say, oh, well, maybe give me 
you know, recommendations for top 50 horror movies or something like that. Okay, that's no problem. But then what if instead of it's one to 50, you change it to 200 million, right? That's another thing that can have cascading effects internally with APIs. Also when APIs are talking to microservices. So that's something that on the front end, you really only have one request come in, so no bells really go off, but it's not until internally in the customer's environment that can cause problems, right? So being able to identify these range types of attacks can also uh, really help you to defend against denial of service. Ryan, a couple of other security threat trends I want to talk to you about. And one you mentioned, that's web application layer attacks. I'd also like to hear about credential abuse. What can you share with us? Yeah, so from an application layer attack perspective, uh, what's kind of interesting is oftentimes API developers don't think the same type of attacks against a regular web app would apply. And of course they do. I mean, we're talking things like SQL injection, cross-site scripting, directory traversals, all those types of attacks, they are well known against normal apps. Um, and we see those, uh, especially against these APIs where somebody wants to do an SQL or SQL injection to try and retrieve data out of the database. So we see that that's actually our number one attack vector. All sorts of other attacks as well. For instance, we are, we're seeing attacks where they're trying to take over the API hosted download code to uh, turn that API environment into a Bitcoin mining operation, right? just to use your resources. So there's all sorts of different types of injections and malware stuff that we're seeing. The other part that you asked, which is very, very relevant and probably the biggest problem on APIs, and that is credential abuse. There's a lot of different terms, credential abuse, uh, credential stuffing, as the Open Web Application Security Project, OWASP, calls it. Basically, that's where bad guys get a hold of uh, a breach of credentials, usernames and passwords, and they're trying them on any different website that you can authenticate to. They're just trying to see if users are reusing credentials, a username and password pair. Because if they, they get lucky and they, they have their proper credentials, then they can cause different types of fraud abuse if they can break in. So we're seeing all sorts of those attacks against our customers' uh, authentication APIs. And what's really challenging defending against this is when you have not necessarily uh, mobile clients, meaning somebody's using a normal browser on their mobile phone, but really where you have mobile apps. And the big problem there is if you think about how typically organizations defend against login you know, types of attacks, is they do things like CAPTCHAs, right? And they can do that because normal browsers can execute JavaScript and you know, maybe you get a pop-up or have to checkmark a box or something. But oftentimes on these APIs, you have clients that don't render JavaScript. So a lot of the typical defenses just don't work. But speaking from credential abuse, just to get an idea of the magnitude of problem <laughs> that we're seeing, we did um, some random sampling uh, based on our uh, kind of big data environment that we have across our customer base. And here's one example just from one day we looked at. We looked across 98 different Akamai accounts and there were, let's see, 591 million login requests. We saw a little over 34 million unique credentials being checked. And out of the heuristics that we have on the back end to identify, do we think this is a legit client versus somebody who's trying a credential abuse attack? We estimated that 67% of those, which is almost 400 million, were fraudulent. So that's kind of crazy when you think about the magnitude uh, that we're running into. And the last two kind of points to make on credential abuse, just again to give the scope, is 
we see attackers going against a normal web app login page, you know, that somebody in a browser would go to versus the API and looking at the number of credentials they're trying. And because of those things like CAPTCHAs and rate limiting on the front door versus the API, we're seeing about four times more credentials being able to be checked against authentication APIs. So of course, attackers love that because they can check way faster <laughs> to see if they have any valid credentials. And the final point was just the number of IPs, the attacking IPs that are participating. We see an average of five times more IPs checking against an, an API authentication. And that's really telling you where the attackers are able to distribute their credential checking across different IPs to hide where they're coming from, right? And to make it harder to do things like rate limiting. Ryan, I know you only expect these attacks to increase in 2018, but what volume and types of attacks would you think that security leaders should expect? Well, some of the uh, stats that I just gave should be a little bit eye-opening <laughs> with the magnitudes that we're talking about. And similarly, we, we've looked against these attacks against financial customers and some of the entertainment, and we're talking attacking IPs that are part of a single campaign. We're talking millions of IP addresses. So that's the kind of scope that, that we're looking at here. Um, so it's only going to increase, especially when you're talking about different IPs that can be kind of co-opted into these types of attacks, such as the Internet of Things. Ryan, I'm glad you mentioned the Internet of Things because I wanted to ask, what role do you believe that connected devices are going to play in this new generation of attacks? Yeah, these IoT devices are uh, a challenge. <laughs> they're a challenge because it's obvious from a convenience perspective, they're exploding in popularity, right? Everybody likes the convenience of what these can do. But really, when you think on, on the internet, it's an IP address with ports that are listening, and it has resources. So it has value to attackers. Really, what we've seen, and actually, Knock on My Threat Research, we um, had some research released in the past year, we called it uh, showdown. Uh, what that was uh, related to is we investigated these credential abuse attacks and we really wanted to see, wait a minute, how are the attackers getting all of these IPs that are kind of disposable? And we kept running into IoT devices. And what we found out was in addition to other ways they can break into the device and install malware to do all sorts of things, for this particular attack scenario, what we found was the really number one problem is default username and credentials, right? These devices come with real poor usernames and passwords um, that can be used and the bad guys know what those are. And that combined with, um, in this case, Secure Shell, right, or SSH. What the problem was is even though some of these vendors had locked down the device so you couldn't SSH into the device and get command line access, the configuration flaw is that if you have valid credentials, a username and password, you can make a connection to the SSH process and set up a SOX proxy. So basically, these IoT devices become what I call Patsy proxies. So the attackers can set up these connections to hundreds of thousands of IoT devices and launch their one attack and distribute it across all these IoT devices. So that type of a, a process is going to continue, I believe, because the IoT devices are exploding in deployments and securing them is difficult. It's challenging for consumers, especially end users, to even know, you know their, their system or their microwave or their refrigerators even online are vulnerable. And how are they supposed to patch it or change configurations, right? And so it's really back on manufacturers to do this. And unfortunately, a lot of these IoT devices, from their view, are more disposable. 
They don't really want to issue patches and do updates. They just want you to buy a new one. So, you know, IoT devices being used uh, maliciously to do denial of service campaigns and these credential stuffing, uh, it's really going to continue as far as I can tell. Ryan, that's been great insight. I'd love to bring the conversation back to Akamai now. What are you doing to help organizations respond to all these types of attacks we've talked about today? Well, we've really focused on our Kona Site Defender web application firewall product, focusing on APIs, you know, and how can we make it better for some of the unique scenarios we were just discussing. So we've made some improvements there. One of the big things that really helps when we're talking about those application layer attacks and things like that is to be able to do more of a positive security model. You know, a lot of times you can do negative security model or blacklisting to look for known bad stuff and block it. You know, that's easy. But APIs are different in that most APIs, when they're developed, they have a specification file, you know, usually written in something like Swagger or RAML, and they have definition files to make it easy for other developers and clients to interact with their API. So that's great also from a security aspect because you're basically giving us like a roadmap of what types of inputs you expect and where. So we can enforce that in Kona Site Defender. Right? And we have lots of customers doing that. They import these specification files, and then all of a sudden, you know, hey, this RESTful API node has a parameter called whatever product ID. It only accepts integers. Right there, it's a piece of cake because you can block anything else that comes in. So that's one thing that's very beneficial for protection for our customers. The other things we're doing are a lot of these attacks we see for credential abuse. There's well-known tools that the bad guys use, such as like Sentry MBA. That's one of the most popular tools. A lot of these tools were able to actually fingerprint for telltale signs that somebody's using that particular tool. Um, we've actually worked with customers to implement that, and they've seen significant droppages in failed authentication attempts because we can block it at the edge before it ever even gets to their origin to have to process it just to say this is a failed attempt. And the final piece is around an acquisition that Akamai had this past year called CyberFend. They really specialize in um, identifying bots, right? Separating bots from humans. In this case, specifically, when we're talking about APIs and authentication, with CyberFend, if you're able to install the software uh, development kit, right, the SDK, that really gives you a much higher uh, level of security to be able to do more sophisticated things, right? The bots are trying to impersonate humans, but for instance, if you have the SDK, you can tell on these mobile devices through the gyroscope and stuff, right? When there's minor movements of your hand moving back and forth and it's not level and all sorts of interesting aspects that you can tell, wait a minute, this is a human versus somebody trying to script movements. So those are some things that we've been adding in uh, more recently to help out uh, APIs and to defend them properly. Well, Ryan, I'm very grateful for your insight today. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me on. We've been talking about API and security trends going into 2018. I've been speaking with Ryan Barnett. He's Principal Security Researcher with Akamai. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.